Hello and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going into Vietnam through, uh, by way of the Philippines with Oliver Stone in Platoon from 1986. But before we get started, how was your week? <laughs> I literally asked you this two hours ago. Yes, and in those two hours, I walked a very, very sweet pit bull. Oh, puppy! Uh, what color? It. You know, though. I don't. <laughs> oh, you don't. Okay. I can't tell. She's. For those of you who don't know, I'm colorblind, <laughs> and so the dog is either kind of bluish, but not very blue, or brown, perhaps green. I don't know. Probably gray. She's probably a gray. I think Stephanie has mentioned that she's gray. Before. Right, but she's very sweet. She doesn't bark very much. She she sits and follows orders really well. Orders. <laughs> oh yes, you know, sit. And, you know, start walking right side, left side of the street. It was actually, she was very, very sweet. It's a very sweet dog, and um, and she seemed to like me right off the bat. So there's a good thing. Yay! Dogs like you. Yeah, they do. I don't know why. So much in common, maybe. It means you're a good person. So, what about you? How was your your time away from oh, the mic? Oh, you know, good. Watch Master Chef. Mm. Not a lot more. I did. I did start painting again this week. Not in the time that we've started talking, but I've gotten to paint a couple of things, and that's been nice. So, yay for art! We're just creating a thing when you want to create a thing, because you right. also created a thing. You created and sent a story in. Yes, I sent a story into uh, Mark Damian Lawler, who has two books on my shelf here. Before you blow out the candle, uh, and the other one. Like preparing for a nightmare. Ah. And um, these are anthologies, so I've contributed two stories. And he's writing a third story, or get collecting a third um, anthology. And uh, he asked to write a um, asked me to write a story about a fear of the woods, and I did. Woods. And um, they're lovely, dark and deep. Yes, but I have promises <laughs> to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Miles to go. There, we're very literate people. I'm sorry, we'll be showing off maybe a little bit, but literary. We're over literate, but yes. Um, this is the first poem I ever had to memorize. Really? Second, first poem I ever had to memorize for school. Second poem I ever had to memorize. I had to memorize Lord's Prayer as a child. Yeah, right. My mom um, made me uh, memorize Jabberwocky. We have different parents. Right. <laughs> um, and for quite a while, because of my dumb sister, I kept saying, um, Our Father, which art in heaven, Hollywood be thy name. Hollywood be thy somebody name. Somebody explained to me it's hallowed. You just picture a beautiful right? blue eyed Paul Hollywood as your, as your Lord and Savior. <laughs> yes. Uh, which was very common back then, and apparently, no, not so much anymore. But um, but yes, I think I I learned the uses of poetry when I was a teenager, and found that it can be used to woo women. Woo! So there was a lot of um, a lot of Tennyson and a lot of Lord Byron. Ooh. And at least then, you didn't say Blake. <laughs> oh well, you don't woo women with Blake. I'm a, not a Blake poetry fan. He's very strange. I would look into some uh, women poets to help you with women. Well, yes, but that was a very long time ago. 
All right, you want to get started? Okay, this let's movie? get started. Okay, you guys, we had to watch this movie in two over two nights, which it was necessitated originally because our Wi-Fi kept dropping out, and after the third time, I could not take it. It was hot. I was grumpy, and I was hating this movie for the mm. first hour. I think the first hour of this movie, I was like, "Fuck all these characters! I don't care if they die." It's I don't want to watch this anymore. I get it. Racism is just so much racism, and I just right didn't want to watch it anymore. Not to mention, I have a problem, like a moral problem, with like two of the dudes on the screen. So I, it was just it was a lot. Mm. Um, we came back the next night, and I had to watch the last like hour and fifteen minutes, and it was we got through a really heinous scene which is where we kept dropping off right. in the middle of this really heinous scene. And then I think the back half of this movie is much more successful than the front half of this movie. And I don't know if it was just cooler in here. We could watch it all in one go. I don't know what it was, but that second half of the movie, I was dreading it. Mm. And the actual watch was not nearly so, as bad as I thought it was. How be. familiar are you with the work of Oliver Stone? Not very. Okay. I have seen Natural Born Killers, and I think... I think I've seen parts of Born on the Fourth of July, mm. and then I think that's basically it. Uh, and I'm not a Charlie Sheen fan. I am not a Johnny Depp fan. I once upon a time was, and now I am mm. no longer. Um, so the two of them being on the screen was yeah, my experience a lot. of Oliver Stone is actually kind of odd. Okay. Um, he made an attempt at. Well, okay. Here's the oh, person. you know what I, movie I like by Oliver Stone? His least favorite, one of the very first ones that he did, which is The Hand. Right. That is the first Oliver Stone movie I ever saw. I saw that movie when I was a kid. That's not when it came out, because it came out when I was that, one. Yeah. But, like, I was maybe 11 or 12 when I saw it. Mm -hmm. Um,. And I saw the flaws in it, right? It's not a great movie. And he says himself, I'm not a horror director. Right. Like, I don't have that timing and those senses in me, which I think is a very astute realization that he had. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of it. Michael Caine cracks me up in that movie. He's just so arch. <laughs> He's just like, Apparently, dude, calm down. That's kind of when he directed the first film, Apparently, that he directed was Seizure. Yes, which, which I've never was I with know. some of my favorite uh, horror actors. Martine oh. Beswick, okay, was a, one of my favorite Bond girls, so to speak. Um, and she calls herself that, so I'm not being diminutive in any way. But she was a uh, she was always a second romantic lead or something. She was a little too sexy for mainstream filmmaking. Oh. Um, so she's she'll be the rival. What the hell is wrong with us? Anyways, yeah. <laughs> she'll, she's the rival to Raquel Welch in One Million BC, and she's the you know Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde. I think that's her big part where she plays, and it's a Hammer film, and right. she plays uh, Ralph Bates' female serial killing um, alter ego, Sister Hyde, which is very good. It's actually mm. a really fun movie because that was written by. Uh, I think it was uh, the writer for the Avengers, the, one of the producers for the original Avengers oh, nice. okay. TV show. So he has a really great 
kind of rhythm he hits with male and female characters. Not Marvel's The Avengers. No, no. This is The Avengers, The Avengers. Emma Peel's The Avengers. <laughs> it's like but, Avengers. Um, his film seizure, I've read Martin Beswick and Jonathan Freed, who was the Barnabas Collins in the original The Dark Shadows. Okay. And they apparently, there was a huge rented house um, where they shot the film and Jonathan Frid and Martin Beswick tell stories about just locking themselves in the same room and playing checkers because after the shooting ended at the end of every day, everyone got really high and was running around the right. house. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Just sort of being a hooligan. <laughs> and that it was really with the hand where Michael Caine. Yeah. And this is something I respect about Oliver Stone, as you said. He's willing to admit that was a huge mistake. Yeah, it was not for me. He wanted to, for years, break into filmmaking. And he wrote screenplays, including the screenplay for Platoon. Yes, yeah. Very early on. But that he thought, well, I can't get any money to, to get a film about Vietnam made. Right, it's too close. So I'm going to do a horror film, because horror films make money on a small budget. And the problem was, he admits he has no idea how to do that kind of material. And yeah. It's a very specific thing. If you want to do a crappy horror movie, you can. There's hundreds anybody of them. can do that, right? But if you want to do a really great horror movie, like what he wanted to do, it needs something else. And he said Michael Caine kept sort of pulling him in the hand and going, "I understand what you're trying to say, so let me just yeah. do it." And yeah, what, so, yeah, so what he'd need mm-hmm. is good actors, a good script, and a right. great editor. And this is something to that get through our the horror movie we talked about, which is. His, Oliver Stone, one of his gifts seems to be casting a movie. Correct. Right. He just chooses the people and then kind of lets them run with it. Mm-hmm. And this movie has amazing cast. Uh, Platoon does. But he wrote Midnight Express. He wrote uh, Conan the Barbarian. Okay. Uh, and Scarface and Year of the Dragon. Um, I remember him directing, I saw Salvador very early on. Okay. And that's with James Woods. Yeah. And uh, I had a, or I have a um, two Salvadorian, Salvadorianos who are relatives, mm. a brother-in-law and a sister-in-law. Sister-in-law hated that movie mm-hmm. because she believed it sort of made them all look really bad. Mm. But she goes, it's completely from the and and Roger Ebert talked about this in his review for that film. Mm-hmm. It's very much. Kind of like um, a Hunter S. Thompson white guy goes to a Latin American country. Right, which is really the only story that uh, he can write because he is a white guy. Wherever he goes, Oliver Stone is a white guy. Right, and he's a white guy who was very much like the character that Charlie Sheen plays in this film. He was a prep school kid. Yeah. Did he volunteer? I'm not sure. I hadn't read that. Okay. But he did then have, after... After this film, he had a string of successes. Wall Street, Talk Radio, which was a good film, underrated film, Born on the Fourth of July, The Doors, JFK, A Natural Born Killers, and then he went on and um, and did a number of movies after that that were just uh, very popular and, and sort of cemented his his career. But he's a very odd filmmaker. I remember having the longest, or for the longest time, a problem with Natural Born Killers. Because it seemed almost to me to be a collage of bits and pieces from it other films. It feels more like a music video than a film. Well, he I didn't understand until much later on 
what he was trying to do. And then I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. If we're looking at the, the point of view of these two people who have lived their lives through movies and through okay. television, yeah. then yes, they're going to visualize everything they do as a sitcom. Right. And so that explains yeah. some of the more yeah. like weird tonal shifts. It was just, I think it may be seven years before it's time. Yeah. And I think that was that it. It's might like be. There, there's something that I can look at and go, okay, so he was ahead of his time. So he's, I had a strange relationship with him. As a man, he's a very odd person who has strange number of, uh, or a number of very strange kind of beliefs and all. But as a filmmaker, he really knows how to edit and put together a large amount of material. The yeah. fact that he was doing this with this cast of actors that he and the casting director chose together, um, that that says something for, yeah, you can see that what later on becomes, I think, his best film, JFK, which is just yeah. it's enormous amount of material. And I've never seen material. JFK, and I know that there's like, it's one of those things that comes up on like the show Doug Loves Movies a lot because mm-hmm. everybody's in it. Right. So if you're naming a, a movies f- with a person That's... in it, you just say JFK if they're of a certain age and hope. Because <laughs> when I was spent downtime on a film set and Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon was a new thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. JFK connected him with everybody from Donald Sutherland to um, to even just the random uh, people. Well, you know, there's the Kevin Costner and everyone else. Um, it's the same as when you're playing, I think the other game was the Christopher Lee one, where it's like the, the Three Musketeers connects him to all oh, this okay, whole yeah. generation of actors, including yeah. Charlton Heston. And kind of link everything. games like that, yeah. Right. So, um, but yeah, we the film itself doesn't have a lot of plot, it seems. It doesn't. We'll go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, other than Oliver Stone, we'll say, the, the other thing that uh, that that this intersects with is your history with uh, the Vietnam War. Yeah. Do you have a history with the Vietnam War? I personally don't, because I would be too young. (laughs) But what I did see was that this was the beginning of a tonal shift in the way that the war was represented. Yeah. Uh, Stone himself was doing this movie to change, because the Vietnam War was not spoken about a great deal. Right. There was a lot of protest about it. There was a lot of... um, there was a lot of sort of hyper-aggression from the behalf of some people towards the veterans returning. Yeah. And yeah, we, that includes the their own government, because right. they didn't want to give them any care. Exactly. There was not a lot of uh, of mental health care going on for uh, these veterans returning. Not not a lot is um, even an overstatement. There was 100%. There, there was zero. There was zero. There was none. It wasn't a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it but wasn't a thing. It's it's um, when uh, this film before that you would see. I think the only film that celebrated them as heroes was a John Wayne movie called The Green Berets. Right, which this film it was right. made in at, as a response. It's and a response to that. Even The Green Berets as a film, which I saw late night as a kid, okay, is incredibly violent. Yeah, especially for a John Wayne movie, you're looking at it. Going, Which is what right, the hell? right, exactly. Vietnam, Vietnam was violent. You know, that was the first time I'd seen people that you know caught on fire from a flamethrower. Mm-hmm. Somebody, Mike Henry, who later uh, becomes Tarzan in the movies, picks up a man and impales him on a tree trunk, just like this really. Yeah, yeah. 
Overlord. very different mm-hmm. fighting. It was a guerrilla war. Right. Um, it was very different than the trench warfare um, and the sort of battlefield warfare of right. even, you know, uh, World War II. Yeah. Um, there's almost nothing made about the Korean War. I mean, MASH technically is the Korean War. People right. presume that it's the Vietnam War, well, but we'll it is not. It is the Korean War. based on that, but intersects with it. Oh, yeah? Uh, in the Manchurian Canada. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, but, yes, there's very little on the Korean War, and most of the films about the Korean War that I remember are very morally ambiguous, because this is the beginning of... Yeah. The Nazis are just bad. Yeah. Bad Nazis. Nazis are always bad. All right? Well, not so, to mention... We were attacked in World War II. Right, exactly. Which makes our involvement mm-hmm. pretty clear. But it's not all... the case in right. almost, well, after uh, up until t- 2001. Right. Basically, any other, um, and they don't even call uh, Vietnam a war anymore because we did done lose it. Mm. And America can't say she's lost the war. So what has she done? She um, she pulled out of a military conflict, is what she did. She didn't lose a war. <laughs> there is some validity to that, because we probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. Correct. And yet, how many millions of our young men died? And well, there was then how many uh, other millions came home and were... Drug addicted abusers. Right. I mean, some came back and made full lives and were able to move on with their lives. But I tell you, as the daughter of a, a Navy veteran, Purple Heart mm-hmm. Award awarded before he was dishonorably discharged, uh, Naval veteran of the vet- of the Vietnam War is they came back broken. They had no support system. Right. And they pass that brokenness on to their spouses and their children. I, um, I worked with a guy, and I won't go into his name. He was a he was a really strange guy. He was um, we when I worked at Homes Book Company, mm-hmm. we had a uh, the vet's hospital was a few blocks away, mm-hmm. and so we'd get vets who'd come in and they'd buy books, a lot of military books and, and stuff. And there was this guy who would come in, and his whole thing was, he was just loud, he was abrasive, he was one of the characters, and even looked like him a little, to a certain extent. Um, He was one of the characters that Robert De Niro was always doing. Like, if you're doing an impersonation of Robert De Niro, you wind up with this guy. He was sort of loud and obnoxious at times, but he was really nice to me for some reason. And we got along really well. Mm -hmm. And... Over time, he just began sharing things with me about his experience. And he'd been in Vietnam. He mm-hmm. was 18 years old at the time. And he was a spotter for a sniper. Mm-hmm. And he would just sit there and spill out the most horrible stories mm-hmm. you've ever heard. Yeah. Um, and given and then he and he had all those experiences. And the government was, was like... Right. Get back to work. <laughs> and he, he came back, and he was, in some ways, one of the sweeter people you'd ever meet because he was always constantly volunteering to work with a volunteer fire department. Right. He was always serving veterans on Christmas and Thanksgiving. At the same time, he was really messed up. Yes. He was very messed up. He had um, what he eventually, after I left working at that bookstore, um, 
one of the bosses there saw that he was there all the time and hired him and then almost immediately fired him because he was hitting on the girls that worked there. Oh, And yeah. the idea is it, it, spending 18, you know, being at 18 years old, spending your formative years in the jungle, basically. Yeah. Um, he didn't know how to relate to people. He yeah. was a person who'd been divorced. Uh, and I felt really bad for him a lot of times. I've, I've lost track of wherever he is right now, and God bless him. I hope he's actually gotten some help. But, um, but yeah, this, I remember that before this, you had the Green Berets, you had films where Vietnam veterans were always crazed and they were the villain. Yeah. That was kind of the, the... Which is wild. We really villainize our, uh... Right. Our veterans in a way that is, uh, disgusting. And I am anti almost every war that America has fought for the last however long. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 80 years um, but I am pro our military they are not the ones making terrible choices they're just the ones that have to pay the price for those terrible choices right. um, so it you know people want to call me anti-military because I'm anti-war and that is the opposite of the truth <laughs> the exact opposite of the truth if I could uh, reallot our defense budget to instead of a bunch of new toys that don't fight the wars that we actually have happening in the world right now and divert it to the VA so that people could get the care that they deserve, especially if it all comes from the stuff we inflicted on them in the name of our wars, mm-hmm. I would do that in our heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't need more tanks. That's not what we need but um yeah so this movie going into it trigger warning racism because anytime you have a war movie starring the the, and with the point of view being american soldiers i don't know if it's true of every culture and every group so Mm -hmm. i can but i can say it definitively with american soldiers we train our soldiers to think of that group that they're fighting as less than human so that yeah. they can kill them. So there it's is... It's not natural for people to want to kill other no, people. There, Yes, especially because it, it's not like you did something to me and I am exacting my revenge on you. It right. is your president, mm-hmm. the, who you've never met... <laughs> made some choices and my president who i've never met has decided that i have to come here and kill you for those choices because more often than not that's exactly what's happened so yeah i you're a human person to me so we have to breathe that out we have to get that out and that the the direct result of that is a lot of slurs and a lot of dehumanizing language about the group that that is we're talking about and in this case Vietnam Vietnam is particularly strange because they are fighting alongside the Vietnamese while calling other Vietnamese some of the worst things you could call somebody. And I can't imagine what it was like to be on the side of the the, the South Vietnamese Mm -hmm. side and have to work with these people using these slurs and then having to use those slurs yourself against your you know, countrymen to 
keep those people on your side and to help you kill them because right. that is also what is happening. Like it's, it's a lot. So it is, t- it's tough to watch. Also, anytime there is large groups of servicemen, any talk about women is going to be right. And that's gross. The, there's <laughs> our next film is going to be Goldfinger, Gold. which is a much lighter film. Um, <laughs> that's all I know about that uh, movie. And, y'all. And, <laughs> I'm almost sometimes I I love that movie. I am anxious about watching it with you because I know that it is from 1964 and it's a very much a 1964 attitude. I know. I asked you if there was any outright sexual assault and you were like, "I don't think so." And well, I'm like, "I'm going to think so." <laughs> cool. There's um <laughs> yeah, and so this film it's interesting how much my attitude has changed personally. I never use some of these words in regards to women. I certainly never physically harmed a woman. But it's interesting how if I had seen this film when it was first released, mm-hmm. that attitude Christmas was so... Christmas Eve, 1986, everybody. <laughs> that attitude, was, which would be the year before I graduated high school, uh, that attitude was so prevalent. Yeah. You just sort of accept it. And watching it now... It's in some sects, it's still that prevalent, but yeah, it's, um, it's market. It's, it's hard to take. I, I don't, it's because it's violence Yes, and it feels like violence. Um, yeah. So let's real quick, um, talk about, because Oliver Stone wrote this movie, Charlie Sheen for all intents and purposes is Oliver Oliver Stone. And yes, he did enlist. Yes, he did enlist. Yes. In April 1967, he enlisted in the uh, Army and requested combat duty in Vietnam, which is what we find out that um, Charlie Sheen's character, uh, whose name is Chris Taylor. I'm going to forget that because it's the most forgettable name of all time. I think that's the point. So from September 16th, 1967 to April 1968, he served in Vietnam with the 2nd Platoon, B Company, 3rd Battalion, 21st Infantry Regiment, 25th Infantry Division, and was twice wounded in action, which also happens in this movie. Uh, He's then transferred to the 1st Cavalry Division, participating in long-range recon patrols before being transferred again to drive for motorized infantry of the division until November of 1968. For his service, his military awards include the Bronze Star with the V device for Valor, the Purple Heart with Oak Leaf Cluster to denote two awards, i.e. two two being wounded in combat, Uh, the Air Medal, the Army Commendation Medal, the Sharpshooter Badge with Rifle Bar, Marksman Badge with Auto Rifle Bar, the National Defense Service Member, the Vietnam, the Vietnam Service Medal with one silver service star, the Republic of Vietnam Gallantry Cross with unit citation and with palm, two overseas service bars, the Vietnam Campaign Medal, and the Combat Infantryman Badge. And some of those things, is, this is going to sound like I'm diminishing medals, mm-hmm. uh, 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 military medals and valor and i i don't mean to do that i just mean to make the uh the comparison in my brain because some of those things are you went to vietnam you get this thing it is very much like a merit badge it's very much like if you did this thing everybody who did this thing gets this that's true also of the purple heart 
Purple Heart is if you are wounded mm. in combat, you get a Purple Heart. It's mm. literally a merit badge for getting wounded. So, you know, I don't know what all of those are, but certainly, like, the Vietnam combat is, you were deployed in Vietnam, here's this medal. Right. Like, great souvenir. I got, you know, sent over to war, and all I got was this loudy, lousy medal. But, so he was there for a year which was a standard a single uh, term of deployment. And he did not do more than one, it sounds like, which is fine. One is plenty. Well, he also seems like you've seen plenty of action in that time. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, he did ask to go to the place where the fighting was and be one of the fightings. If he had joined a different branch of the military, he right. may never even have been in Vietnam. Like some military service during war is to be in places where we just have a presence. Mm -hmm. Well, the people who have trained while being that presence go right. to the actual war. So that is not what he chose to do. He chose to put himself um, in the fighting. I don't know if his he it doesn't say here and I haven't I don't know about his reasoning but I would guess that it follows along Chris Taylor's reasoning which is why should the poor kids be the only ones to right. do this which, which was is actually very noble of It him. is very noble and it's not noble in in um lip service No he he literally put his ass on the line <laughs> like he literally did so that is admirable mm -hmm. Especially since they were drafting at that right. time. That's especially admirable if you are anti-war, generally, right? Right. Because I'm against this thing, is, and I'm in college, are reasons enough to get you out of that. He was in college. He could have just he was accepted at Yale. not. Yeah. So instead, he decided, yeah, he would be a body so that just one more poor kid who got drafted didn't end up over there. Now, I don't know when they instituted the draft in Vietnam. I believe it was after this. Um, in fact, I'm going to look it up. 1965, it looks mm -hmm. like. So there was, the draft was happening then. I just, the times are weird because, like, my dad it was born in 54, and so he was later than that, yeah. but he was drafted. So 54, 64, 74, so it was, it was in 72 when he turned 18, and I believe he was drafted at 18. Like, right. <laughs> like he had, and I don't know how it works if, like, your number comes up in the next six months and you, and your number comes up. Well, oh, I guess I can't. Yeah, I don't know how it works. And okay. I hope I never do. <laughs> like, I don't, I hope that we don't reinstitute that. But, um, okay, so the movie, the movie, the movie, the movie is. Starts with uh, Charlie Sheen getting to war, basically, saying, I enlisted, um, and it fucking sucks here. <laughs> like, that's basically how how we are int introduced. Uh, he is assigned to the Infantry Platoon, 25th Infantry D Division. Mm -hmm. They're very near the Cambodian border. In later, point of they fact, say... They just cross over and don't realize it. Yeah, sometimes. later they say it's like um, a thousand meters. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's like not even a mile. So, or two, it was 2,000 meters. And I was like, that's like just about a mile. So, yeah, they could definitely walk that on a, on a patrol without right. 
and and cross that border and the, the, nothing changes the trees look the same like you're not going to know um he is the 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 leader of the platoon that he is a part this of the 25th infantry division 25th infantry uh is lieutenant wolf a figure you will not see much of this and is mark moses who was the uh, husband no, was he Terry Hatcher's husband in Desperate Housewives? I don't know. I've, I've never seen, seen him Desperate only as an older Hatcher's. man. Oh, okay, I've never so seen it's Desperate like, Housewives. Oh, there he is. And again, there's a lot of that in this film. You're... Yeah, he is a young. Yes. He is also clearly a person who was put in charge because he went to officer school, mm-hmm. right? Like, he right. doesn't know what he is doing. He's very young. He does not get along with the two sergeants in the platoon uh, who are basically running the place right so those two sergeants are sergeant barnes staff sergeant barnes Mm -hmm. that's tom berenger he has wicked scars on his face and we will never know what they're from and uh sergeant elias which i thought was his last name but might be his first name He's just Sergeant Elias. And that's Willem Dafoe, the youngest one I've ever have seen. But he also looks like the oldest one I ever have seen because he's got... One of those faces. One of those faces. Just bone structure and skin. Like, I just... (laughs) His face is so interesting. But he, weirdly, you guys... Although... I guess, apparently, they were both cast against type. Mm-hmm. But I'm too, it's 2022, and I'm watching Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe, and now they are very similar in type. Right. So Berenger apparently used to be a super nice guy, because in this one, he is a monster. He's been through some things, you guys. His whole face is fucked Well, up. yeah, the, the, the makeup job... <laughs> And it must have been applying this in the Philippine jungles. Every Hot, sweaty. I don't know how. You can tell in the dark they don't put as much mm-hmm. of the prosthetic scarring on his face. They just don't. Right. He does not have as many scars at night as he does during the day. Because they're like, We're, you're not going to see it anyway. We're not doing this. <laughs> but he... he um... <sighs> the point of the film seems to be that and and Oliver Stone's script makes it very explicit later in the film mm-hmm. is that these are the two people, these two sergeants, who are both of equal rank, yes. right? So there's there's no sort of issue between the two of them. They are fighting for. They're like the devil and the angel on Charlie Taylor's shoulders. Yes. And Although. That indicates that Barnes would give a fuck about Charlie Sheen's character at all, and I do not think that that is. The I don't case. think he does. I think when we first see Charlie or uh, Chris Taylor come in, you know, Charlie Sheen's character come into this scene, he's it's almost like he's entering a prison. Oh yeah, and they're yelling "fish" or something. It's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. How long is he going to last? They are. Yes, and it, and it's you see it kind of through the film as they lose people to, you know, death. Right. Uh, then new people who are fresh off the fucking boat are coming in. So it is this sort of constant cycle in this platoon of people who have no fucking idea what they're doing. And I did like 
I'd almost prefer to read this as a book than watch it as a movie, which is a little bit insane. Mm-hmm. I liked the voiceover, uh, which is definitely just Oliver Stone writing about Vietnam. And right. it is good. It's good writing. And it is, I think, my favorite parts of it. When he talks about things like, um, I forgot what was the exact thing. Oh, he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And nobody will tell me what I'm doing. All they'll do is yell at me that I'm not doing right. right. And he's just like, I don't want to be fucking up, but I literally have no idea. Nobody has told me what the f- I'm supposed to be doing. I am in the j- jungle. There is explosions going on everywhere. And I don't know. I'm not, I don't know which direction I'm supposed to go. I don't know how much water I'm supposed to drink. I don't know. Fucking anything. That's and when nobody tells me anything. These two particular sergeants mm-hmm. are the ones guiding it. Um, well, yes. Uh, he is with Lieutenant Barnes Wolf. to start with. Right. Lieutenant Wolf doesn't. He's is clueless. He's clueless. And he understands that, which I do appreciate. Uh, he does he's try just, and... Right. He does try and sort of put his foot down later, but he makes such a ridiculous blunder that he sort of... Sidelined. Yeah. Um, but Elias... Elias still sees the humanity of the people around him, both the soldiers he's fighting with mm-hmm. and the soldiers he's fighting I'd against. I'd also like to add, as we find out, Elias is a pothead. Yes. And Barnes is a drinker. Barnes is a drinker. No. And we find that out later, and especially when uh, Chris hangs out with the potheads, and at first he's terrified. Because you know who else is a pothead? All the black guys in the, right. in the platoon. And this including is Keith David. Forrest Whitaker, Forrest Keith Whitaker. David, uh, Francesco Quinn. And Reggie Johnson. Yeah. Who was the one who I was like, you look like if Tay Diggs um, and Anthony Mackey had a baby, but it was like before either of them were born. Yeah. Like, because but <laughs> he's yeah, older there's than a, them. He, he, um, Elias hangs out with the black soldiers. Uh, Barnes yeah. hangs out predominantly with the white soldiers, which yep. include Johnny Depp's character and a really creepy Kevin Dillon. Yeah, Kevin Dillon is... Uh, always creepy. He's um Matt Dillon's brother. Is that right? I know, am yeah. I am I thinking or am I getting him confused with another Dillon, like the Baldwin's, where you don't know who's what. Um, and Adam Baldwin is not a real Baldwin. Yeah, he's Matt Dillon's brother. Um, and you may know him from Entourage or not. You didn't have to watch that. It's okay if you didn't. He played drama in Entourage. But, yeah, there's a, also John, uh, John C. McGinley. John C. McGinley, who is great in this, and who you kept referring to as not James Woods. Right. Because and I'm like, but James he Woods is John C. McGinley. Film. Oh, right. okay. He was asked to do this film, and John C. McGinley does that, what was Woods was distinctive for, for a very long time, yeah. which is this constant stream of patter. That he's yeah. doing. Yeah. He's always playing a sort of a nervous role. He's candy. Yeah. Right. It's the and only family guy thing that I have ever think thought was funny. But he uh he he is a sar- uh, a sergeant as well. Yeah. But he's constantly deferring to Barnes. Yeah. 
And yeah, yeah. he realizes that Barnes is not good, but it's on some level. But Barnes, Barn, a yeah. big, big reason, I think. Right. Honestly, that the people that follow Barnes follow Barnes is at, you hear it later. He's been shot seven times. He's not meant to die. If we follow him, we'll make it through this. That is, they right. are following him out of fear, which is fine because he is leading out of fear. And yeah. with fear. So it, it melds perfectly. But for people to follow him, I think they they have, A, had to extra ascribe themselves to the belief that the people around them are not people, right. which makes yeah. them much more violent and much more dangerous towards civilians, which we'll see. And the people that follow Elias are like, no, no, no. We are in a shitty situation. We are all in a shitty situation. Mm-hmm. We are not murderers. We are soldiers. So we will do the job that we are tasked to do. But we are not out here. We have to comport ourselves with dignity. To yes. And self-respect. And that's that's. And kind it's of not even like because the United States. It's not. It's right. so that we can leave here with some semblance of our humanity right, intact. Because exactly. what's the point of surviving this if we're so broken that all we want to do is kill someone else. Right, exactly. Like, and and that's the split. And Charlie, or his name is Chris, not Charlie. Chris, the Oliver Stone standing. You know who I'm talking about. Falls in with Barnes first. He is placed with Barnes first. Um, and it's just a lot of getting to know everybody mm-hmm. for the first 45 minutes of the movie. There is a scene where he and Junior and someone else, I think maybe John C. McGinley's character, maybe not, they're all on watch. And um, Chris is second and then Junior's third. So Chris, we see him go through his thing, wake up Junior, to take, the, take watch at that point, right. and then go to sleep. And he wakes up and sees enemy combatants coming towards them. He, it takes him a minute to actually see them because they like wear like leaves on their hats and they're, they're pretty very they're, camouflaged. And it's also yes, still nighttime. It's very creepy too. It's done really well. It's yeah. Like, well, then you should have put that energy into your horror films, right? Because there are moments in here that are really horrific. Yeah. And he looks over and sees that Junior is asleep, but he doesn't. He does not do the thing he should do. He's frozen. He is frozen. Because he's a kid. He's a kid. And this is the first time that he is going to have to right. strike kill somebody where he knows that that's what's going to happen. And they do end up, they get a little bit ambushed, but they end up, you know, mm. pulling ahead. And, but they come down on him as being the one who fell asleep. And he wants to say, no, 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 it was Junior. And they put the kibosh on that real quick. Like, if you are called to the carpet, you take your lumps. And you shut your fucking mouth. Right. It just, it is what it is. And especially, I think, maybe, don't fucking throw your black um, squadron mate well, under the fucking the, bus. The character but, like Kevin Dillon's character, uh, Bunny, yeah, uh, would have been fine with that because he doesn't seem to have any, lo- uh, any love for his, um, his black uh, no. platoon mates. Yes. But I think the thing is that it was more a matter of, to me, anyhow, they know that guy, but they don't know who this prep school you, kid right. is. Who's, who's right? You're new, right? And we're gonna we're gonna razz you on fucking up until you don't fuck up. Um, 
which is not how But he works. himself gets injured, and that's when we find yeah. out he winds up getting sent to the hospital, the field hospital, and then he starts hanging out and recovering with Elias and... With Elias and the, and the, the, the more chill group, which... We hear the music that both of them mm. listening listen to. Like you want to be with Elias, as right? One hundred percent. Some R and B, some pots, some yes. And they're, they're just, playing cards. They're right. telling stories, but nothing. Not not stories about you know the ears that they're collecting, right. which is what the other group's doing. They're they're doing a lot of. They're doing a lot of locker room talk. They're doing a lot of. Um, slurs against the natives so that mm. they can get themselves hyped up. Right. They're doing a lot of alpha male and see that plays into masculinity the next, stuff. Probably the worst scene in the film. And then the worst scene, yeah, that's that's which, the, is, which is the scene we had to break for. Right. It's about forty five minutes into the movie. And I had already said, look, I don't give a fuck about any of these people. They can all die and not come back and, and destroy families as far as I'm concerned. Like I was over it. I was really having a rough time. And then this scene doesn't make it better. Um, they, uh, after being ambushed, they go to a, it's about a mile away, right. they go to a village. They find that one of their men who had been, had disappeared. On the on the way right. to that village, they, they, they do come across one of their men who had, yeah, had gone AWOL. And he has been strung up. He is... Chain, like tied to a rock and uh, looks like eviscerated. Yeah. It's a bad scene, and that that elicits a lot of uh, rage. <laughs> that elicits a lot of rage, specifically in Barnes's group. Right. And they go to the village, and they're in, they're you know going sort of house to house to see if there's enemy NVC um, or NVA, I guess North Vietnamese Army. Is that the the right term, mm -hmm. like the non-racist term that I'm going to try and go ahead and stick with? Um, and at one point, they come across a he's like mentally delayed, right? He's mentally delayed, and he also has one leg. Okay. And so, so who right. who and so he doesn't respond to them appropriately. Um, because he's developmentally delayed, and his mom is begging them. They don't have a translator. A translator at this point. There's one person in this platoon that seems to speak Vietnamese, and that is Johnny Depp's character. We'll see him at the end of this. Mm -hmm. But for right now, they are just up in a looks like a small hut, screaming at these people. Right, and this is. Uh, well, they're clearly begging. Right. They don't. They say they don't know anything. But they are hyping each other up. They're hyping themselves up. Mm -hmm. uh, they get to a point where um, they say to Charlie Sheen's character, "They're taunting you. He's taunting you." To which point, at which point, and this he is, starts firing right. his weapon at this. This is Bunny. This is Kevin Dillon's feet. character. Yes, he's, he's in the hut with uh, Sergeant O'Neill, who's John C. McGinley. Yep. And Charlie Sheen, and they're all really upset. Isn't Whitaker there? Isn't Forrest no, Whitaker's character not there? That no, not it. there. Okay. Um, but they are really upset because this this member of their platoon just got strung up and killed, right. and yeah. he was pulled out of the crowd. 
Now, mind you, at the same time, Sergeant Elias is still out looking for this guy. He is. Oh, he is. Okay. Which is why he doesn't come until later. That's right. And why this happens. But when Barnes is giving them, Sergeant Barnes giving them free reign to do whatever. Yeah. Literally um, whatever. Uh, Chris And is, you hear them going, we should burn every place down. Right. We should, like, the his, his team, and especially Kevin Dillon, because he is the... Right. Probably the second most violent. He's the most um, blatantly violent because Berenger's character, Sergeant Barnes's character, he's very quiet. Right. Most of the time, he doesn't say a lot. Um, he just has those scars and doesn't respond the way that one might hope one would respond to a lot of uh, no. stimulus. So. Um, yeah, they're hyping up. They're like, he's laughing at you. He's laughing at you. And that that gets Chris to uh, fire his weapon at this uh, young man's feet. Right. Uh, repeatedly. Like a lot. Like for a long time. Um, at which point, when he stops, they, I think every he and John C. McGinley are like, we're going to leave these people. Like, right. And there's a good, we, there's a good Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Sorry, Charlie, Sheen. Charlie Sheen, who was like 17 when they right. started filming He's this. Very He's young. so young. Um, he, to his credit, he gives a really good moment when he seems to come to his senses and go, what, what am I doing? What the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Right. And uh, John C. McGinley's character is looking at both Matt Dillon and Charlie Sheen. Kevin Dillon, like, yeah. Um, Kevin Dillon, sorry. Yeah. Uh, he's looking at both of them, trying to gauge what he's going to do. What? Yeah, and he's in charge, ostensibly. Right, he's the sergeant. Yeah, you know, uh, and these people are beneath him, but he's still, you know, he's not going to get in the way of Bunny. Yeah, which is very ironic that he has a sort of silly kind of goofy name. Silly, silly goofy name. Yeah, but and he. I don't remember what happens. Well, what happens is that, um. Chris decides, like, we're not going to get this. We're not doing this, right. I can't do this. Right. He's leaving. Um, The mother of this uh, developmentally uh, delayed young man is screaming at them all. Yeah. And then Bunny gets the butt of his rifle, knocks the guy down, and literally kills him. Kills him. Splits his head open. Splits his head open. And starts laughing about, did you see that? Did you see how his head came open? And she's screaming. Uh, Right. And they're getting uh, both... Uh, Chris and Sergeant O'Neill are getting like blood lung in their faces. And when she screams, Bunny shoots her. In the face. Yeah, he shoots her in the head. And so... So they've killed two people. Right. Or rather, Bunny's killed two people. The three of them have killed two people. (sighs) They were in a hut together. All the army knows, because this is the thing. This is what what ends up being like the issue for the rest of the movie is somebody in that hut killed those two people. They didn't kill themselves. Right. So what happened? Right. And okay. so they're coming out. The Johnny Depp is doing some translation. He, you don't see him a whole lot in this right. movie. Um, and Barnes is getting real aggro and violent against another member of this community, this another civilian. 
Um, and does he go to shoot them? And that's when Elias comes in Elias and like just fucking and loses they his start mind, wailing on each other. Yeah. Barnes and Barnes and Elias just get in a fight. Wolf has been with Elias, mm-hmm. so he comes in. And he's like, "What's going on? What's with going you guys? on?" Yeah. Um, but yeah, when he sees those two going after each other, he's really of the strange idea that someone like Barnes is going to squash it right there, and they'll be cool. Yeah. And that's not going to happen. You can just see Barnes seething because somebody ran up and just laid into him like that. Yeah. But there was no other way of stopping him. Yeah. And they're, again, they're both equally ranked. There's no. And so Wolf, because he is a weak, weak willed individual, pacifies them both by ordering all the supplies destroyed and the village raised to the ground and then they leave. And. At that point, we see Chris stopping a couple of other of Barnes's sort of acolytes right. from raping two children. We don't see them. We see that they're very. We see young. them being pulled away yeah. after we're after everybody's up. We don't see actual rape. Yeah. We just see Charlie Sheen's utter contempt at these men's behaviors because they want to say they're just whatever they're just less than human they're dogs they're not why why do you yeah and he's like somebody says they're human beings and then he goes they're children (laughs) because they were children but they were human beings they're human beings get off of them Um, and so he does stop that in whatever place it was and then the company commander decides that if there was an illegal killing which you guys there definitely was we definitely saw it that there would be a court martial um and that leaves barnes worried that elias is gonna basically narc on him and so then there is this the ratcheting up in animosity between Barnes and Elias which comes to a head when they um, get redeployed out back out to sort of where they started right out by the border mm-hmm. and they have been basically told like an amp- like they're coming like they're coming the, the border's right there but the you're they're coming <laughs> there's gonna be an ambush um they think it's like a couple of days away, but then the air gets real thick and weird, and they're like, "I think it's happening sooner right. than that." And um, you know, they've there's been as they're walking, we see various things where they lose a couple of people to an explosion in a bunker that they come upon, and they like there's there's war things happening, but the next sort of big um, sort of chunk of what happens is they are uh, on patrol and they're ambushed. They're pinned down in a firefight and Lieutenant Wolf accidentally <laughs> directs artillery strike onto his own units. Right. At which point Barnes and Elias basically sideline him. They're like, you can't, you can't be in charge because well, you yeah, are going to get us all killed. He, I don't think that, Wolf has much in the way of combat experience, and his move is to panic. Yeah. And it's like, well, they're going to overwhelm us, so we're going to, he's going to order a strike. And again, his people are right there. And the person taking this information from him says, what's your position? Because 
we're going to hit you too. Right. Yeah. Um, and he actually says, I think, we're, it's whatever. Right. <laughs> Which, um, sir? But he also, we have seen him deteriorating. He is not right. a big piece of this movie. He do, But you, when you see him, he looks worse than the last time you saw him. Right. Every time. Well, because he's also, I think, part of what's in between the beginning and this part of the film is that he's really concerned about being court-martialed because ultimately he's responsible, he's responsible. for what the two sergeants He's concerned about that, but he or also he knows did. that he's not the right. one, and yet he's the one. He's out here. He can't yeah. go away. He's in it now. Like, he's trapped. and Up to his neck. Yeah, up as to Gregory his neck. As Gregory Peck would say. Um, and then uh, Elias takes uh, Taylor, so uh, Charlie Sheen, and two more people, um, to intercept flanking enemy troops and Barnes orders the rest of the platoon to retreat and goes back to the jungle to bring those four back. Right. Except not because when he does find Elias, and I was so surprised when this shit happened, he does straight shoot him three times in the yeah, torso. At this point, they've all separated. Mm-hmm. Everybody is separated. Mm-hmm. And, he, and Barnes went back with the stated intent of bringing the four people back that had gone out right? so that all of the platoon will now be retreating together. But what he does do instead is find Elias and shoot him three times in the chest, um, at which point he drops. And then he like takes what looks like two steps and runs into Chris Taylor, so Charlie Sheen, back in the mix, and he's like, we got to go get Elias. And Barnes says... I saw him draw. I saw him taken down by the NBA. I don't right. He says that um, he's dead. We gotta go. And with that, because they're they're in a firefight. Charlie yeah. Sheen fucking chases him out of it. They follow him out, and they're they're getting choppered out. Charlie Sheen gets into the back of that uh, chopper. People are asking him about Elias, and he's like, um, he's dead. Uh, but he doesn't even, I don't even think he says that because then as they're taking off, he's looking down and we see Elias tearing ass out of the jungle. He is not dead. Right. He is wounded. <laughs> Being followed by like 16 NVA right. soldiers and they try and bank around and pick him up, but they do watch him be overrun and killed in front of them. But at that point, our lead character is like, uh, that motherfucker definitely lied to me. And whether or not he killed him, which, y'all, he did, um, he is responsible for the death of right, this, exactly. the, this man, right? So he doesn't know that he also shot him three times in the chest. So right. it was, you know, the, the so that's not what he's... Um, he's got a problem with he's got a problem with you said he was down right we left him behind and then we watched him be killed like the fuck dude um and at that point yeah in the uh in the little weed bunker with the little hammock that we had seen elias on previously eating a banana smoking some weed very wholesome activities uh Taylor tries to get everybody to gang up on uh, Barnes and kill him. They're like, we got to frag him. He's He killed Elias, whether or not he killed Elias. He he doesn't even know how right he is about the fact that he killed Elias. We've got to take him down. And they're like, um, he's been shot seven times. He is not meant to die. And uh, then it turns out, oops, 
Tom Berenger's character, uh, Sergeant Barnes, he's been chilling outside right, the door the whole time, listening to you drunk. and drinking this Jack Daniels, it looks like. And he's like, you want to fucking take a swing? Nobody's here but me and you guys. So if you wanted to right now, y'all could strike kill me. And he's right. There are like seven dudes in there. Right. Um, and uh, instead of seven dudes attacking him. Uh, only Chris does. Only Chris does. And he does get a couple of good licks in. But then he is promptly put down by a much bigger and stronger man. Who then pulls out a push knife. So it's like he wasn't mm-hmm. going to. What's interesting about that fight scene is that I don't think he ever intended to fight fair. No. He was not... No, he's know. gonna take as much of you with him as possible, right. but at this point Berenger is fine with that, I think. That's what I got from that scene, too. It's like, if one of you guys can kill me, that would be so much better be than so great. living the way that was I another. That's another part of the voiceover that I really mm-hmm. liked, where he's like, if you were gonna die in Vietnam, you wanna die in the first couple of weeks, because... It's every day sucks. So if I don't have to do 300 shitty days before I die, that'd be great. If I can get out in like the first 20, if I'm going to die here anyway. Right. um, Which, what a heartbreaking thought to have every morning when you wake up. Like, yeah, but come on back and work at a 7-Eleven. It'll be fine. It's good. It's fine. Yeah. It's totally normal. Um, and yeah, pulls out that push dagger and uh, cuts Charlie Sheen's face right below his eye to give him a little bit of the uh, scarring that he has to deal with on, on a daily basis. Assault your pretty boy, or like, you know, destroy your pretty boy look. And um, then... They go back. They're they're redeployed. They're in defensive positions. They're in they're in foxholes this time, which is a right. sometimes, not in always. And uh, Chris is in a foxhole with a black soldier named Francis. And that night, there's a huge assault by the NVA, and it's a clusterfuck. They're coming they're from every direction. Yeah. They're overwhelmed. The command, like, they're hearing on the radio, they're trying to talk to somebody further up, and we just hear that be the last bastion of that platoon be decimated, and then we hear Vietnamese voices over the thing, so we know that that's fallen. Mm. And then we end up seeing them fall, like, the the people in charge were getting, <laughs> like, were, were falling. Like, that's how far forward... Yeah, the the combat enemy combatants came through, and at the same time, I mean, Chris and some of the others really are fighting for their lives. Yeah, right before this, there is a scene where um, Keith David's character winds up leaving. King. Yes, King. Yeah, and and he got, he got, he hit his hundred day or three hundred. Right. It's it's a year. It's like the, your three hundred sixty fifth day. You're supposed to be pulled out. A lot of times you aren't, and he'd been waiting. And the, the, he I, was pa- he right. was into that year too, and they come up and they're like, "Your number's up. You get to go." And so yeah, I really and I, it was like I today, like the right now, the relationship that was developed between him yeah. and Charlie Sheen's character. Yeah. Um, 
And it makes me think about how much I like Keith David as an actor. Keith David is great. He's, uh, he's the black one. Right. David Keith David is the white one. He's <laughs> also a great actor. Yes, That's also a great, uh, different. It's crazy. I think they should do a, they should do a film together. Um, they should play David brothers. Keith and Keith David in. But uh, also, right before this, O'Neill is asking Sergeant Barnes, "Can I?" Can I get a leave? Can I go to... I want to see my wife. I want to go to Hawaii. Yeah. So you get this sort of run of what everyone's thinking, but they all seem to have this bad feeling about something about to happen. Yep, yep, yep. And then when McGinley it, is like, um, I'm going to go to Hawaii. Like, they say that I get to go next week or whatever, and I'm gonna, yeah. I'm fixing to go to Hawaii. He's very excited to get out of here. He doesn't think he's going to make it there, but he's, like, hoping for it. Um, yeah. And... Uh, and in this uh, assault, Wolf dies. Hmm. Most of Barnes's followers die. die. Um, there's um, a suicide bomber that blows up the command area. Right. Like, it's real bad. Um, Captain Harris, Harris orders in air support. That's the second time hmm. where he's like, where the people are like, uh, but what are your coordinates? He's like, we're going to have to just batten right. down because we are overrun. Right. Their whole idea This is, is where you have to attack because this your, is where the fuck they are. <laughs> dig deep into your foxholes yeah. and sit tight. And sit tight, which and, is yeah. the most, literally, it's, the mo- it's your commanding officer telling you to bury yourself alive and hope. Right. Because that's what you're doing. It's... It's crazy no, what we ask these people to do. Um, yeah, and in all of that, Chris is managed. He he manages to escape a foxhole that gets overrun. He escapes into another one, and they bounce before it gets overrun. Like he is, he's doing the Elias running through that because there's a very um, it was Rambo esque to me right. because I've seen Rambo and not this. But um, Willem Dafoe would run through the jungle and just take people out in a very, uh, it felt very uh, like a kamikaze way, but he always got through it until he ran into his own partner, but whatever. Um, and that and we see Chris doing that. So really taking the offensive. I mean, of course, it's defensive because he, it's not like he has a choice. They are all around him. Uh, but he runs into Barnes, who has been seriously wounded. And then it's, uh, well, you said you wanted to kill him. Are you gonna? And the answer to that is yup. But mostly because Barnes is definitely going to kill him if he doesn't kill Barnes. Mm. Like, I don't know if Barnes had been unarmed. If Chris would have been able to Barnes kill him. Barnes is never unarmed. That's true. He's never unarmed. He's always, like I said, he's like, I'm going to get to, are you, take a swing at me, take a swing at me, here's he's my He's got knife. a boot blade right. and a like, yeah, no, he's, I guess that might not, be true. Yeah. Like I said, he's not doing this fairly. I think when he did that, when he went into their works, their space, the pot circle, yeah, and challenges them, he's looking to take someone down with him, even if it does kill him. Yeah, that's not entirely true. So what happens is they're about to maybe kill each other, and then there's an airstrike, yeah. and then it's a fade to black, and then it's a waking up. 
And then it's the next morning. And Chris gets up, picks up an enemy rifle, finds Barnes again, who tells him to call a medic, at which point um, he's like, you want to fucking kill me then? Fucking do it. And that's when he does. So, mer. Then he meets back up with Francis. I missed this. I missed what had happened here. Mm. Chris has fucking got bullet wounds in his shoulder. He, they're black. I'm, I I want to know what causes the black. And I do think it might just be all of the gunpowder from the mm. air artillery and the dirt being blown up. Because their skin is just black. It looks like they've put on war paint. But they haven't. They've just they've just been fighting in this um in this fight all night and they just it turns them black. Um but Francis uh is unscathed. So he takes a knife and jams it in his leg because he's fucking over it. Mm. And he's like, We're gonna go to the hospital and it's gonna be awesome. And um that's both of their second wounds and since they've been wounded twice that right. is your sort of get out of jail free card if you want you don't right. have to um and it sounds like in stone's own life he went back and did more after his twice wounded well i think Beringer's character too is a guy who just keeps going back yes, yes. he loves this this is the world for him but if they yeah especially i guess if they draft you and you you survive being wounded twice they right. can let you go home um, and on the way home, as they're going up in the helicopters, um, we're looking down on mass graves. That's what right. we're seeing. These huge craters just filled with bodies and he starts crying and there's more voiceover. Uh, and that's the end of the movie. Oh, we do see a little Oliver Stone cameo at the end. When everything's going to shit, he is um, on a radio at some point trying to get something to happen. But I was like, oh, I know those eyebrows. <laughs> That's how you can tell Oliver Stone. Eyebrow. Uh, thrilling? What did you think? It's what hard was... to say a film like this is thrilling because it's it's so realistic and so close to people's actually actual agonized Lived experiences. Experience, yeah, yeah. So it's very hard to go, oh, this was thrilling. It's, mm. um, I think the film, having understood how different the point of view was of Vietnam veterans before and after this movie. Yeah. Because the only, uh, there, there was the Rambo films, right? Two of them, anyhow. The first film, he's kind of... First Blood is an anti-war right. film. The second film... The, se the rest of the Rambo mm -hmm. movies forgot what the first movie was. It feels like they've forgotten the face of their father. Right. I don't... Like, I'm just like... <laughs> the um, the second film was very much a kind of a adventure film. Adventure film. Okay. Uh, but they also... It turned them into superhuman... As this superhuman character who yeah. leaps over... Uh, bombs and uh, you know running through minefields and mines are going on. And they get him. more and more racist as they right. go on. The first one, he's fighting against white people and it's fine. Yeah. Um, but like the most recent one, mm -mm, I didn't I'm see not going to watch it because I have been warned that it is 
xenophobic as hell. And I'm just like, then I don't need to. Thanks. Yeah. And I saw the one that came out in the mid 2000s and yeah. it was the most violent thing I've ever it seen. Was really it was very violent. No, appallingly. Mind violent. you, that film was better than some of the others. I actually appreciated oh, yeah. that film because. Like as a film? As a film. Okay. And also because the fact that it was violent. When you're watching Rambo 2 or 3, you're watching a guy who shoots people and they sort of. Like, there's cool violence, but. Uh, the idea of realistic violence was not yeah, a Yeah, no, he was, like, mm-hmm. people were destroyed. Yes, a man gets bisected by yeah. machine gun fire. Yeah, which can happen. Which can happen. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's these sort of he- overly heroic portrayals where it's almost like watching, um, the only thing I can compare it to is watching a 60s, like a Hercules film. Okay. You know, it's like he's these feats of strength. Yeah. Look at how strong and muscular right. he is. He picks up rocks and throws them at feet, that kind of thing. Um, and that's the, like the precursor to the, the some fetishizing of some right. things that maybe shouldn't, maybe shouldn't so that's be, why I have maybe don't need to be fetishized. A problem with saying it's thrilling because yeah. I'm going that's feels like it's diminishing. The Do you think it has people. a place on this list? Um, I guess so. Okay, so there and you I go. I think that as a film that changed the attitude. Sure. There yeah. were two films about Vietnam before this. Really, um, aside from, let's say, the Green Berets, which, again, kind of was overly heroic and very violent. But you had, uh, and we've seen both of them. The Deer Arms, Hunter. The Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now. Okay. I Yes. And, and we should say, this movie was filmed in the Philippines. Right. Because we still couldn't be filming in Vietnam at that right, point. Exactly. Um, with no help from the U.S. military, which is almost unheard of in, in war films. War right. films are... 70 plus percent propaganda because if you want to make a movie with tanks and aircraft carriers then you have to go to the people that have tanks and aircraft carriers and the only people who have those are the military so typically it'd be the military of your own government so in this case the u.s government was approached as they are for all movies that require machines of war and they were like oh this does not make us look good we don't want to do that so he used he borrowed military equipment from the philippine military Mm. um used equipment which is good it's fine Mm. because it was in the middle of the the war everything looked used so that didn't that wasn't detrimental but yeah he did it without the um, you know, the blessing of the U.S. military, which is US military, very rare. Uh, Nicholas Meyer, Mayer, who is a, a director that um, you might be familiar with. He directed Time After Time. Okay. He also directed Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan. And then he directed several other Star Trek movies after that. Okay. He's very famous for that kind of thing. Uh, he did a film called A Day After. Okay. Which was a television movie. Is this one of those, there's a nuclear explosion and then this is the next day or something? The nuclear war. Oh, full-on war, okay. And uh, when he did this film, the military held out on him. Uh Uh-huh. Because he's like, well, the military, of course, will intervene. You know, we have scenes where heroically trying to save people that are stranded. and, And the military held out on him because he wouldn't openly declare who started the war. And it seems so petty to go... But wait, the point of this film is 
if there's a nuclear war, we're all we're screwed. all fucked. All but you have to say that it wasn't us. But but it's like yeah. When we're in fine all with probability, that. Right. it was us. We're fine with that, but we need to <laughs> say specifically yeah. that they started. They started it. it we us. only did what we had to do. Right. Um, which is gross. <laughs> growing up, knowing or overhearing some of the stories about Vietnam, like yeah. I did for my friend, and also um, that were just part of the culture. This puts the My Lai massacre into a perspective, mm-hmm. and you can see how that happens. Um, and I think that's what Oliver Stone was trying very hard to do: is just not to rationalize it, yeah, but to go, "This is what it's like, and this is what pushes people to the extent to where yeah. I destroyed that village to save it." Yeah, um, you know. Yeah, but in this case, you're seeing the xenophobia. You're right. seeing the racism. And it, it becomes um, really hard when to it, take. Full Metal Jacket was the next year. Right. Right? And that's that's another film that we saw that, that covered that. And um, it it also was very anti-war. Yeah. Because what it pointed out was a 16-year-old girl with a machine gun or the sniper rifle could take out all these yep. people who spent the entire first half of the film training. Training, yeah. Um, but because you just got literally anybody coming in. Right. like These people aren't inclined to fight, and this girl is fighting for her own she's fight. That's the other thing. Right. When we are shipped over there, once again, because my president decided that your president did something that they didn't like, Right. I don't. I just want to go home. Yeah, I'm I, not here for glory. Well, some people were, or yeah. violence, or whatever. I'm, of course, there are people that fall into that. But for the most part, they just want to do what they can, as little as possible, and go home. Well, I thought this film also foreshadowed the Hurt Locker in a yeah. lot of ways, and that it's about a guy, Barringer's character in particular, and Bunny, Sergeant Barnes and Bunny. Who become addicted to the idea of violence yeah. and warfare and yeah, Bunny was like, "This place is awesome. You can do whatever you want." Like he he had real he psychopath. He doesn't yeah, want to. He go doesn't home. want to go home because he realizes this is the place to be. If I want to, if I go home, I cannot carry out my. If he I can't home, do whatever I want. If he stayed at home, this man would be a serial killer. Hundred percent. But when he's out there, it's like I can. In do fact, things. when he goes home, oh no, he dies. But right. if he was to go home, yeah, I think he would become a truck driver and there would be hundreds of bodies. Right, exactly. Um, on quiet highways. He becomes across the guy that Michael country. played in Henry, yeah, right? Yeah. Just like this quiet, maybe not so quiet because he's kind of a loud mouth. He is. But this guy who just kills people. Just that's kills his people. Hobby. Yep. Um, the way that some people take because a he wants to because right. that's his right and freedom to do so. Right. He, and he can do whatever he wants, and what he wants to do is but murder people. I think I came away from this film with a bigger respect for Stone. Yeah, as a filmmaker, sure. Um, Especially so early in his career, right? That he actually, and then of course, a bigger respect for him for being that person who actually is. And like I said, I like the writing, though. Right. I think the voiceover was very strong. I think the writing in this movie is very good, and the casting is very the casting good. Is amazing. The casting is great. I mean, like we get everybody to see in Tony here. Todd, yes, in here as a young man, and Forrest Whitaker as a young man, yes. and all these other guys. And uh, John C. McGinley, I, I want to see other stuff that he's done now because... You don't want to watch all of Scrubs? Come on. That's where I know him from right. first. He's a, he's a great comedian, but he was... His facial expressions mm-hmm. are pitch perfect. Right. 
And in this film, it's like you can see the fear in his face when he's trying desperately to find a way to get out of here. And his whole thing is and like, that's And he was the one he was going to go on vacation right. the next week. And now because Barnes and Elias are gone, he's given the platoon. And he's like, you just watch him. He's just like, I'm going to die here. Right. Like, there's nothing, there's, I have, there's no future. Like, you just watch any hope for future. Just leave his eyes. It's rough. It's it's, really, really uh, rough. He does a really great performance. He does, yeah. And so does Keith David, who doesn't. Oh, yeah. He does a, he's playing a guy who's, in the very beginning, I thought, oh, God, how are they going to treat his character? Yes, because the first time you see him, his buddy is mocking the way that he is spelling in his letter to his girl at home and he takes it so nicely and he's like it's all right she don't read too good either right and so at first you're like i'm just like i love this man (laughs) at first i thought they're going to you're going to treat him poorly he's going to be yeah shit on and but instead he becomes this guy who becomes in the absence of Elias, the moral center. Yeah, but also keep in mind, you mm. know what you don't need out there? Right. Fucking book learning. Yeah. He doesn't... What are you going to read? They don't need to learn how to read. That is not a skill well, that is important to them out what there. the sadness of this story is, is that what his character is meant to do is really bring home who they sent out there. Yeah, that's right. Right? You're going to treat me like shit when I get back to the States because I'm black, but right here I'm fighting for... Yep. Whatever it is we're fighting whatever for, whatever the prize yep. is. And I appreciate the fact that Oliver Stone, who can be very political, yeah. never goes into, why are we here? What are we doing? No, no I think just by making the movie, right. he's doing that without having to be explicit about it. And yeah, but for I mean, that, I am grateful mm-hmm. that he left that. Trust your audience. Yeah. Because your audience walks out with, why are we there? What are we doing? This is also, what, 10, 15 years after the actual war itself? So everyone remembers. Everyone remembers the protests. Everyone remembers the fighting. Mm -hmm. Everyone remembers all that. And, uh, I mean, the the residents from the Vietnam War, um, I'll tell you a weird example. Do you know De Laurentiis does King Kong, Uh his remake? Uh, In his remake, King Kong is killed... He's dragged out, and it's it's a better film than the original in that it's a lot less racist, still racist. But he's killed on top of the World Trade Center by a bunch of Bell Huey helicopters. Okay. So there's a whole echo of Vietnam there that they just gun him down. Yeah. Defenselessly while he's trying to defend uh, Jessica Lynn's character. Right. He's like pushing her away, and they're shooting him to death. Um, and it's weird how. Like, you could make that reference in 1978 or whatever, 77, when that yeah. film came out. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. Real close to right. the and actual like events. the minute you saw those choppers coming, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. I know what's coming. Those yeah, because the, of right. the, the, the film rolls and things we were right, getting exactly. back. Which was missing from the Afghan war and the yes. Iraqi war. And that, I think, put too much distance between the average American, quote-unquote, and the war we were fighting for 20-some years. Yes. And so there's no compassion for all of the people coming back, and there were thousands and thousands and thousands because we don't realize a war is going on, because we don't go to the movies and see 
Right. This was. The, this. You have to go to a news network, which most people don't do. You have, like even if you just watch the da- the local news, right. you're not going to get news on. Hey, there's a active war going on with members of your community exactly. in it. We just except we were just like we don't have to think about it, so let's not. Whoops, that's not you guys. Well, Stanley Kubrick, uh, he did a film, Paths of Glory, mm-hmm. about the First World War. Yeah. Uh, and about and it's not really a war film. There's a huge battle scene, but it's about men who go on trial for deserting their charge when they're just being slaughtered left and right. Yeah, and that's a film that has a similar kind of yeah. If nobody said retreat, you actually don't get to, right. and uh, that's a problem because when your fight or flight response kicks in and you don't have any bullets, right. the fuck are you supposed to You're do? You're supposed to get killed because, yeah. and that's one of the things that. <laughs> winds up being a point in the film is mm-hmm. that the the men the the lawyer assigned to defending them who's Kirk Douglas mm. does this gives this really impassioned speech about like to the general who sent them out there. He just sends them out on this fool's errand to go kill the enemy, but they get slaughtered and then he wants to prosecute them for running when it's so hopeless. Yeah. And um I was thinking of that film when I was watching this one. Yeah. Because you on the one hand, it's like Keith David leaves and he just, I'm leaving. And they're just, peace out. I'm out. Peace out. Which I think is, that is a political statement by right. Stone to have him be the one. He's the only one mm-hmm. that we see age out and get out. Right. Not leaving via wound, right. not leaving via straight up death. He's the only one we see. Right, exactly. Who, like, gets to tag out. And we should add also, very briefly, Charlie Sheen is really good in this particular performance. Yeah. He kind of phoned it in with a lot of later performances. But yeah, and then lost his goddamn mind. Right, so we really don't need to... Him, yeah. But, but I, also, I wonder if making this movie at the age of 17 might have some reason. Right. Well, like, they also put influence them a on lot the fact that he lost his goddamn mind military when he was 46. Military kind of for that. Um, Including waking them up, not letting them sleep, doing yeah. a lot of stuff. I'm to saying give them this, that this, they they but, all got wounded. He almost fell out of a helicopter. Keith right. David pulled him back in. The, uh, Willem Dafoe drank out of a river. Hey, pro tip, bro, do don't do that. So he got some sort of parasitic infection. Like every there was, it fucking sucks yes. to make this movie. But at the same time, I think casting Charlie Sheen was a stroke of genius. Yeah. Because his father had made such a huge impression in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. As that Absolutely. Guy. And he looks enough like him. Right. Especially at that age. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, yes. Yeah, so, thrilling. I'm not sure that I should say that because it sounds kind of demeaning. This is also diminishing. going into the long list of Vietnam, Vietnam movies that I have enjoyed and will never fucking watch right. again. Well, The Deer Hunter. We it's, talked about the, that that's one. one of them. That's a film. That I, I wouldn't have rewatched Full Metal Jacket right. if not for this show. Yeah. Like these are not in any way movies that are comfortable that I want to just flip on at the end of the day. These are. I feel sick at the end of these movies. They're grueling, and they 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 take you to a place that you don't want to visit. People. Ignore. And all I do is, th- I, 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 because of my experience with Vietnam vets, all I think of is the 
the ravage after the fact. Right, exactly. And and I can't it's not that I don't want to have compassion for people, but it is very difficult to square the terrible abuse perpetrated by these people and the per- terrible abuse perpetrated on these people. Right, exactly. And then it's just I get mad at the government. I like I then I'm just mad at yeah. the whole system. Like just so much destruction. What did, what? what did we do? But anyhow, yes. So yes, it's a very good film. Probably did never we help them. any Vietnamese people? Like, and anybody? Like, I just, I don't. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it. It does. It feels like everything is worse. You know. Now, would there have been a full genocide? I don't. I. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. and maybe it was worth it. So, you know, we can't. You know, go back in time and look and see what happens if we don't do that. But um, I wonder if that's a like a what do they call alternate history? We don't get involved in the Vietnam War. What happens? That was sort of an element of um, so much alternate history is that we did Hitler. If you remember, oh yeah, because of yeah eleven twenty two sixty three yeah. Um, but yeah, so much alternate history around what if the Germans won or what if Hitler yeah. actually won. Um, but I don't see a lot around Vietnam and I'm curious. I bet there is. I bet there's some good stuff out there. So maybe I'll do some research and put it in the show notes. Um, so that's it for this week. Next week we're watching my first non-Daniel Craig James Bond film, uh-huh. Goldfinger, uh, starring Sean Connery as... Goldfinger. No, I'm kidding. As oh, James geez. Bond. <laughs> um, and that's all I know about it. And this. Goldfinger! <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's those are the I, two things I know. I oh, wait. Think, Pussy Galore. Those are the three I things have a funny I know. Feeling that I'm going to really enjoy this movie and you're going to be glaring I'm at me if it's mad done. at it. Oh. <laughs> but, will there be a full sexual assault? <gasps> well, stay tuned next week and I'll let you know. Uh, so we're going to watch that next week. In the meantime... Do you have anything you want to recommend? Actually, um, in light of this, there is an interesting film that I'd like to recommend that's not recent. Okay, that's fine. Doesn't have to be uh, recent. We're late comers, so let us come late to whatever. 1987. This. Okay. And probably influenced by this particular movie. Well, um, probably not. This came out christmas eve 1986 so they were probably already making this movie yeah (laughs) there is an action film and it's an action film it's not necessarily it's i understand i need you to tell me what it is called eastern condors oh is that has sammo that stars sammo hung yeah, that's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see it? There? Yes, you you showed it to me a long time ago. Sammo Hung and Yun Byu, who are both the uh, Peking Opera classmates of uh, Jackie Chan, and they play twelve. Uh, well, he's a secret agent from Hong, or an agent from Hong Kong, who's given a mission by the U.S. military, who is and it's like the Dirty Dozen in a lot of ways. He gets together twelve operatives. To go into Cambodia and blow up a munitions depot that belongs before the Viet Cong can get their hands on it. Right. There, it's an action movie that has a lot of like 
crazy action scenes in it. Uh-huh. There's one scene that involves Samo jumping what looks like 50 feet into a moving truck. Broke his ankle, kept going, because that's Samo. And some of the craziest, like, most... It's a very realistic film. Some of the most wild fight scenes you'll ever see in a film. Interesting, yeah. Samo Hung is, for those of you who don't know, is a 240-pound steamroller of a man. He's not very tall, but he's an amazing fighter. Yes. And he, faster than you think he's going to be. Do not faster. get in the way. He will he's, punch you in the face. It's really funny. One of his accomplishments in life, he said very early on when he was a stuntman, came out of the Peking Opera School, became a stuntman, was matching hands with Bruce Lee. Wow, that's is, incredible. Yeah, he says, yeah, Bruce Lee would have killed me. So he was really, really, really fast, and he just kind of like kept tapping him on the head. And then after that, they trained together. They did. Uh, there's a fight scene into the dragon with Samo. Okay. And um, and they just became really good friends up until his death. He's uh, Samo Hung is like an amazing actor who's a director. He directs films. He's done horror films. He's married to a, a former Asian beauty queen. He's just like he's a great story, and the fact that he's a big heavy set guy does not stop him at all. He's just that guy. Yeah. Um, he plays this character. There's some really great offhand political commentary in the film. Early in the movie, the Americans are leaving the Vietnamese behind the South Vietnamese. Uh-huh. And they are trying to take down the flag, and it gets stuck. And one of the South Vietnamese has to shimmy up the pole and pull the flag down for them. And that's like such a interesting statement because you're like, oh, that's really symbolic. Uh-huh. Again, he doesn't roll over you with it. Yeah. But he's just letting you know, no, you guys left them in the lurch. Yeah. The South Vietnamese were fighting beside you, fighting beside you, fighting beside you. We're comrades in arms. The closing line of that film is really great. They promised them American citizenship to all 12 people who ever survived. Right. And uh, there's a great exchange with him and, and Yun Biro, who's like, um, he's like, it's the Americans' fault. They got us into this. Idiot Americans, fucking Americans, goddamn Americans. And Yun Biro says, when this is over, where do you think you'll go? And he goes, back to America. Like, it yeah. never occurs yeah, to yeah. him. And it's one of those scenes where it's like, yeah, you hate it, but you... That feels like America today. Right, for, you love it at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I'm just like, well, I am an American. Exactly. But right now, I fucking hate America. Right. But that doesn't mean I go somewhere else. It means that exactly. I fucking and fix America. <laughs> it's a really exciting movie. That one really is thrilling in a way that feels less like less like I'm being diminutive to people's issues because they are. there's a lot of wild fighting in this film. But I would recommend that for anybody who hasn't seen it, and it's a good introduction to Hong Kong cinema, to just how wild and wooly it can get. Yeah. But at the same time, keeping it at a realistic enough level to where you're like, oh, God, these are there's a story that the Vietnamese can tell about their heroes, too. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I would recommend. Nice. What about you? I don't know. We, we just recorded... Um, Three hours ago, and now I don't know a new thing to re- to recommend. Um, mostly what I've been watching is old seasons of Top Chef. That's a good. So I recommend if you if you are having trouble, like if you're sad or you don't 
want to watch something you're not sure you want to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. Think of the last time you, like, got a warm, fuzzy feeling when you were watching something, and then watch that again, because it's there for you, and it's yes. nice. <laughs> I think that there's a... Um, like, when I watch golf here... Uh, there you go. But there's a... Yeah, there's something to be said for going, I'm going to revisit these people. Yes, yes, yeah. And I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to get to know them again. Yeah. There was uh, Arturo Perez Roberto, who uh, was a Spanish he was a Spanish author, who wrote uh, The Club Dumas that became The Ninth Gate. Yeah. The Seville Communion. He wrote a lot of uh, really great suspense novels. Yeah. And he was uh, giving an interview at Holmes, where we both worked. Uh-huh. And he talked about... No. Excuse me. At Cody's. Cody's. Okay. I'm like, if it was at Holmes, I didn't work there. Yeah. But I, if gave, we both uh, worked there, it was Cody's. <laughs> he was talking about reading... Moby Dick at different points in his life and mm-hmm. how it came to mean something different to him each time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and how the first time he read it, he uh, wept as a teenager because all of his shipmates die. Fleet Clegg. Yeah. And then he reads it to his daughter when she's very young and he's on the side of the whale. Like, oh, wait yeah, a second. Fuck these dudes. <laughs> these people are killing these yeah. intelligent animals. Oh, yeah, for and no reason. they're using them yeah. for fuel. For fuel, like, yeah. What if somebody it's, did that to us? So yeah. He talked about, yeah, that at some point in the future, he's going to readdress the book and see if he can reconcile these two things together. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, listening to um, Roger Ebert, yeah. who's a you know wonderful reviewer, or was, talked about, uh, La Dolce Vita in the same way. Where, where it just, it hits you it, differently. It hits you differently when he yeah. first saw it. Then when he saw it again, it seemed, you know, when he first saw it, it was just this movie that was so beautiful. Yeah. Then he sees it again and he's sort of cynical because now he's become the cynical reporter that Marcello yeah, Mastroianni yeah, yeah. was playing. And this whole, you know, it's like, oh yes, these people are all full of shit and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then he saw it again and just like, well... But There's, it is fucking right. <laughs> spectacular, right? Like <laughs> at the same time, this is a masterpiece. Oh, but yeah, but also, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, so that's interesting. It's going to be uh, when you revisit something, and I revisit mine often. I know you do, yeah, and I revisit mm-hmm. less often, but I do do it, right? Um, but lately, yeah, I've just been <sighs> like that, and there's yeah, a lot of narrative right now that i do want to watch and get into a lot of it depends on you and me being in the same place at the same time or you me and stephanie being in the same place at the same time so i was like well what can i do when it's just me Mm. um and top chef top chef was the answer although stephanie and i were watching it together yes um because uh, that is a show that I think is spectacularly uh, edited, like mm. put together. I think the production of it makes a lot of sense. Mm. I really mm. appreciate it, especially because it is my favorite format. Like, I love a competition reality show. Give them to me. Specifically, a group of 16 to 20 individuals getting whittled down to one. Give it yeah. to me. <laughs> and, you know, Top Chef is one of the OG, OGs, so there are, you know, 19 seasons of it. And I've watched every one of it's them. It's funny because I've dropped But I'm me. like, oh, I can make a... I, right. I, it inspires me to cook things. I like the people on right. it. Like, I've dropped away from a lot of reality shows. There was yeah. a time when I was watching all of them. Yeah. And after a while, it 
really felt like people began to play to the camera, whether you're watching yeah. Survivor or you're watching the real world or you're watching... That's why I don't watch those. That's, and so yeah. now it's just become what I like about Top Chef. And I, I liked a couple of other. I liked The Next Work of Art, which didn't yes. go beyond two seasons or three seasons. Yeah, no, that was a great show. And um, it it's mostly because... That's genuine. I am not in it for the drama between people. Yeah, I'll take a little bit of it, mm -hmm. but mostly what I want to see is people who are very good at doing something, right. competing at doing that thing. And that, the, the other show... Uh, and then being judged uh -huh. only on that thing, not on being an asshole or being super nice or any of right, that exactly. shit. I want you to be judged on the dish that you put in front of me. I want you to be judged on the dress that you put on that model. I want you to be judged on the piece of gla art that you, glass exactly. art that you blew. That's what I want you to be judged on. You can be weird. You can be obnoxious. You can be too quiet. You can, any of that shit. But I want you to be judged on the thing that you believe that you are good at, that the producers believe that you are good at, and that you are here to perform and do. That yeah. is what I want. I want the painting, the baking, the fucking cooking, the jewelry making, the glass blowing, the fucking floral design. Like, yeah. give that to me. That is what I want. I want to see people doing beautiful art in whatever format that is. Because you get ideas. It, it stimulates mm -hmm. your interest. It I, is. It, it even watching a show like, um, good Lord, Tim Gunn and Heidi. Uh, Project Runway or Project whatever. Runway. Make, yeah, whatever the new they, one. Making um, the cut yeah, is the new one. That yeah. original program yeah. is really Project Runway, yeah. Project Runway is really interesting to me because I'm looking at their process. And when you're watching someone like Mondo Guerra. Yeah. Or Mondo Guerra would be how to pronounce his name. World War. It's like <laughs> he's so focused. Yes. And you're watching some people that just do these amazing things yeah. and you're going, Oh God, you know. <sighs> yeah. The people who make it look easy when you know it isn't easy. Right. Like it's inspiring and it's cool. And I like seeing beautiful things. And yes. whether it's food or jewelry or glass or, uh, you know, uh, beautiful outfits, show that to me. Yeah. Show me what you can do because that's, that's what we're here for. <laughs> that's what humanity is here for yes. is to create some things. So, create. We've created a podcast today, you and I. Yes. Two podcasts. Two podcasts. But today. who's counting? We'll have two more before the end of next week. All right. And next week, um, we're going to talk about Goldfinger, yeah. which is the name of a band I've seen live, not a movie I've ever seen. So you, we'll see how this goes. There'll be parts of it you'll really enjoy. Parts you of are it. looking at me in a way that is making me extremely nervous. Don't. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> it's just fine. Every time. We'll be fine. 1960. Just keep telling yourself. That. No, that's not going to do it for me. Okay. Um, I know better, do better, people. Know better, do better. Then, but until then, mm -hmm. uh, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod. If you want to hear more of me, uh, I was on the Timeline Scavengers where we're talking about Captain America. They invited me back to talk about Agent Carter. So I guess I now have to watch Agent Carter, it's the really only fun. MCU thing I haven't it is watched. It's really fun. I love it. Which Agent I Carter. definitely lied to them about because I said I'd seen it all. 
But I haven't seen Agent Carter, okay. and I haven't seen like four episodes of What If. But I've seen everything else. Oh, and some I Am Group. We watched one of those yesterday. They're super cute. So if you feel like watching a four-minute cartoon of Group, it has a those real are cute. Warner Brothers vibe to it too. It does, yeah. So okay, that all being said, I would like to remind you to please take your medicine. And we would like to remind you, better better late late than than never. never.